0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. It's great that you're here. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. This is the last week in a message series entitled, Man on a Mission. This morning, I want us to talk about stereotypes, the ways in which our culture will put pressure on men, telling us how we are supposed to live out our manhood, how we are supposed to hold our strength, and basically the society will manage to lead us astray. Uh, In thinking about stereotypes, I want us to look this morning at this particular passage and look at two brothers. They're actually twin brothers, um, but not identical twins. They're uh, impossible to imagine two men less alike than, than Jacob and Esau. And it's their story we'll look at today. Jacob and Esau, as I said, were twins. And keep that in mind because in the scripture, there's quite a bit made of the fact that Esau is the firstborn. He's the firstborn, and that means in their culture he gets the the biggest portion of the inheritance and a lot of other privileges. So he's the firstborn, but they're twins, so he's probably only about 19 seconds older than his brother. You understand that? And they're very, very different. The Bible says, I don't make this stuff up, the Bible says that when Esau was born, he was like an orangutan. I mean, the Bible doesn't say orangutan, but it does say that he was covered with red fur. The Bible says that. This baby was born covered with red fur. His parents must have been so proud to put him out the window in the hospital. Red fur, th- th- this baby. Esau grew up to be this mountain kind of man. He loved the outdoors. He loved hunting. He loved fishing. He was just dumber than snot and slow. But, but this was Esau. His brother Jacob, totally different. The Bible says when Jacob was born, he was hairless. So if you've got this orangutan on this side, you've got this naked mole rat on this side that, that is his brother. Jacob was hairless and completely uninterested in everything that his brother liked. He did not like to go outside. He was a mama's boy. I mean, seriously, read the Bible. He was a mama's boy. His favorite television show was Glee. <laughs> Jacob just simply lived an indoor life totally separate from his brother. However, he reaches a point in his life when he begins to believe that the only way ahead for him is to become like his brother in order to become his brother and get what his brother had. This is where we'll pick up. We're going to drop in the middle of the story. Now, where we are, Isaac the father is, is old and almost blind now, but nearly blind, and he's about to pronounce the blessing on the firstborn, which is Esau. And Jacob wants that blessing more than anything in the whole world enough to steal it, so he's going to steal it. His plan is to, to become like his brother, to camouflage himself in such a way where Isaac, mostly blind, will think that he's actually Esau. But remember, he's hairless and nothing like his brother. So he literally goes out and takes animal skins and puts them on his arms and on the back of his neck, so if his blind father touches him, he'll feel fur. You understand? And he puts on Esau's clothes so if his father smells him, he'll smell like the outdoors. And he goes out behind the barn and he just kills a goat out in the yard and brings it in the food that his father loves because he wants to pass himself off as his brother in order to get what his brother has coming to him. It will take Isaac years to understand that the only man he's ever meant to be is himself. But this is the story. Join with me. Chapter 27, Genesis Verse 18, Jacob's taking the food to his father. Jacob took the food to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, It's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is a wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, How did you find it so quickly, my son? You remember he just got it out from behind the house. How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. He didn't recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob but are you really my son Esau? He asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. And then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him and And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. And that's the way Jacob stole his father's blessing. I said that Jacob really didn't meet the stereotype of, 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 of your average or ideal man in his culture and not in his family. That those stereotypes are important and they're always a part of our culture. Let me take you back in time, way back in time to 1971, Brittany. If you can help me, uh, I grew up in 1971 looking at something like this. Uh, this would be your ideal man, apparently, but because this is the uh, ad campaign that Philip Morris invested millions of dollars in in order to sell cigarettes. I'm not encouraging smoking i'm just showing you Marlboro man okay this is Marlboro man understand if they're going to spend that much money on on a campaign like this obviously they've researched and they believed in 1971 that this image that this picture of a man would appeal to most men you understand because they want men to look at this guy and say yes that's like me that's the man i want to be uh, i'm going to be just like him because if you think that the Assumption is you'll then want to smoke like he smokes, understand? That's how the advertising works. So look at this man. Look at this ideal man of 1971. Notice that he's older. It's interesting. Because about 40 years ago, it was assumed that a man was at his peak. A man was in his prime at midlife. So he's an older man. He has wrinkles around his eyes. Notice that he's, he's, he's dressed for work. This is a man of action. This is a man who gets stuff done. This is a man who's taking a smoke break at the moment, but otherwise he'd be roping a steer, you know, or busting a Bronco. This is Marlboro Man. Notice how he's dressed for work. Notice how he's a man of action. Notice how he's outside. Yeah. 1971, probably the ideal man. But now, if, if everybody take a deep breath. I want to take you to December 2013. This is just last month. This is from another ad campaign. National ad campaign, multi-million, is not a joke, multi-million dollar campaign. Uh, this was put out by the White House in order to sell the, uh, the Affordable Health Care Act. Lots and lots of money spent in order to try to get men to sign up. So it's the same thing, 40 years later, the same thing. They want to engage men, and so they have come up with an image that they believe will appeal to the greatest number of men. So notice what you see. First off, you can't miss the fact that he's young. He's really young. If Marlborough man was about maturity and experience, this is all about youth. It's just about being young. Now, if the Marlborough man was dressed for action... What's this boy dressed for? Yeah, leisure. He ain't going to do nothing. I mean, never. He's not going outside. He's probably never left his mother's house ever. And it's not just that he's not dressed for action or work. What is he wearing? He's wearing his, his jammies. He's wearing a onesie. Zzz. He's wearing a onesie. Now, the only onesies that have ever been in my house were when we had a baby. My, my, my six-month-old son, when he was six months old, he wore a onesie. This guy's wearing a onesie, and he's, he's drinking hot chocolate. You understand? This is, whether you like it or not, probably a pretty good representation of manhood in our day. The stereotypes are interesting, aren't they? I put it in front of you today because I want you to understand something. In, in this story, anyway, Esau would be Marlborough Man. You see that? Esau is Marlborough Man, but Jacob is Pajama Boy. Seriously. Esau would be Marlborough Man, and Jacob is Pajama Boy. Very, very different men, but both of them crave something from their father. That's the point of the story. Both sons, as different as they are, There's something at stake in this story, something that drives both of these men forward. And what it is, is this desire to get something from their father. They want his blessing. They want the father's approval. They want it enough to steal it. They want it more than anything in the world. Those boys want their father's blessing. And I would suggest to you, all boys do. They still do. There's nothing at all that's passed away about that relationship between sons and fathers. We need our dads, and we look for something very important from them. Now, sir, I don't know what kind of father you had. I don't know if he was an absent father or if he was a dad that was always there. I don't know if he was a godly man. I know nothing about your father. All I know is he was the first man and will always be the most important man in your life. Very important and you look to him, you look to him in order to figure out what a man is. The boy growing up in his father's house, he's watching dad in order to figure out what a man does. And how does a man get around in the world, and what does it mean to be a man? And also, when am I a man? When do I pass over from being a boy to somehow being like you, dad? It's the question that every son must get an answer to. And we look to our father for that. We need father's approval. We need our father to to say to us, yes, son, yes, you have what it takes. Yes, son, you measure up. I I love you. I'm proud of you. You are a man just like me. You you are approved, and you are accepted, and you're loved. We need that from our father. Jacob and Esau wanted it, and, and so do you. You look to your father in order to discover, to, to figure out what it is to be a man, and you need your father to answer that question for you. But unfortunately, most of us didn't get that from our father, and so therefore we don't offer it very well to our sons. This is the world we live in today. I mean, a lot of us in this house, we were raised by Marlborough man. And the thing about him is he never came home. Marlboro man was out there busting broncos and and, and roping steers, but, but he didn't come home. He was gone all the time, and then he smoked all the time and died of lung cancer when we were 13. You understand? Our fathers didn't always do that for us, and so now we're not always there to do it for our sons either. Nobody showed us the way it's like having a chair pulled out from under you if your father isn't there to answer that question for you or if he simply fails to answer that question for you it's like you're on your own in the world it's like you're out there and nobody else can do it for you nobody else is going to show you the way it's it's devastating of course we have a culture We have a society that's always going to try and tell you what it means to be a man, and they use the stereotypes to do that. They know how you think. They know that having never really settled that question for yourself, that you're still out there trying to figure it out, and they know that one of the ways you do that is to look at other men and try to find the men that seem to have it together, and then you imitate them. That's how stereotypes work. That's how advertising campaigns work. That's why Kmart recently hired Adam Levine to be their underwear model. My old job. (laughs) They understand that that since he's supposed to be the sexiest man alive, that if he appears in television in those Joe Boxer boxer briefs, that your dad, he'll never say anything, but your dad will see that. And on his lunch break, you go out and buy him some of those briefs. I know it's gross to think about, but he will. He will, because that's how men think. We we just simply begin to imitate other men. At the end of the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks, the champion quarterback, whichever man that will be, is going to stand there, look in the camera, and be paid a whole lot of money to say, I'm going to Disney World. Interesting. Interesting. They'll pay him a lot of money just to say, I'm going to Disney World. Why? Because the whole nation is looking at that moment. All of the men in the country are looking at that moment. And that man is the champion, the strongest man on the planet in our eyes. He'll say he's going to Disney World and they're thinking that that will make you go with him. We're sort of like that. Because we're trying to figure this thing out and there's nobody else who seems to have an answer for us. We we begin to just simply try to be like the man next to us or or like other men that that we see. For Jacob, it means trying to imitate his brother, to camouflage himself to be like his brother. Here's what you need to know. It it comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's what the Word of God says. Men, listen to me. It says, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds do not be conformed don't let the world squeeze you into its mold you, you instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discover the will of God the perfect and pleasing will of God do you hear that perfect and pleasing when you hear that word God's will and it's perfect and pleasing that the question becomes perfect and pleasing for whom if God's will is perfect and pleasing, who's it perfect and pleasing for? And the answer is, sir, you. If it's God's will for you, then it is perfect, and it's going to be pleasing to you. Perfect and pleasing for God as well. I'm not saying that that's not true. I just want you to understand, if, if it's God's will for you, he knows better than you know what's in you. And he knows better than you know what your mission and what your purpose is. God knows. So you need to trust him and you need to allow him to change you, to transform you, because he alone, the God who made you, he alone knows the man you're supposed to be. When you find his will for your life, it will be perfect. It will be pleasing to you. You will finally, once and for all, know what you're made for, know what a man is, and know what to do with your own strength. So here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to understand, sir. You simply got to realize that there is no man, no other man you're meant to be other than yourself. No man that you were meant to be other than yourself and no man that you should imitate other than Christ. You hear me? No man that you should try to be other than yourself. And I will stop right here and say, I love the men of this church. I am of all pastors so blessed, so blessed to be your pastor, so blessed to be your brother. You guys mean everything to me. And I think you embody this really really well. If you've been around Woodburn long, surely by now you've recognized that this church is is moved and motivated, just given life by the example and influence of some really incredible godly men. Not a lot of churches can say that. We can. These guys are great. Now, the thing about our guys is that most of our guys aren't trying to be anybody other than themselves. They gave that up a long time ago, and that's what makes them so full of life and so full of joy. They're not out there trying to prove anything or or, or be somebody else. They're just themselves. Now, some of our guys do kind of fit the stereotype, and that's okay. That's fun. We got some really tough guys in this congregation. They're awesome. They're, they're, They're manly men. Been around long enough to to meet a guy named Chip Willingham around here. Y'all know Chip Willingham? He's an awesome man. He's a manly man. Chip Willingham, a couple of weeks ago, went out and killed an elk. I mean, not in Logan County behind his house. I I mean, he went out west, killed an elk, and dragged it home. Currently, he's having the elk mounted. The piece of wood that the elk head is going to be on is going to be bigger than their dining room table. I can't wait. Can you imagine? He killed an elk. That's awesome. But you know, the most impressive story about Chip Willingham is a story about the day he went to get a beehive. He does this all the time. He keeps bees. And in my book, a man who keeps bees is the manliest man of all. I'm telling you. So Chip was going to get this beehive. And he said that there were some kids watching him, and he went over to get the beehive, and some of the bees started swarming, and they went up his pants. Bees went up his britches. I said, Chip, what did you do? He said, I didn't do nothing. I didn't want to scare those kids. (laughs) I said, Chip, what do you mean? He said, well... I didn't want to scare the kids, so I just walked back to my car with the bees stinging me. Now, I'm telling you, that's a man right there. If I even thought that, if I even thought that there were bees up my britches, man, it, it would be pants off, dance off. I mean, it would not be cool. I can't imagine. I mean, bees are stinging his business, and he's just walking to the car, you know, not wanting to scare the kids. I cannot believe that. Awesome. Tim Cornell, one of the men in our church, used to work for the electric company. I was talking to him last night. He was telling me the story about when he was electrocuted. This man was working on the lines, and all of the power that would would serve our whole city went through his body. And it nearly killed him. It would have killed an ordinary man, but Tim Cornell is not an ordinary man. He took the power electricity <makes noise> I mean and he nearly died but the Lord rescued him it's a great story but do you understand this man survived that he can tell you the story he had so much power surging through his body it should have killed him he's walking around today the cool thing is if you shake his hand it'll it'll charge your iPhone he is an amazing amazing manly man but but now we got other guys too I'm seeing those are kind of the stereotypical tough guys, but we got other guys too. First off, we got like Stacey Hunt and Tracy Esters and Kelly Holman, men with ladies' names, (laughs) but still awesome guys. You would be very mistaken to underestimate their masculine majesty. You can't just go by a name. We got Tim O'Nan right there. Tim O'Nan is a tough guy, really tough guy, who also went to cooking school to become a chef like Chef Boyardee, like Orville Redenbacher, uh, uh, all, all the I, I mean, he's a chef. He cooks. Now, you'd be tempted to go up to him and say, boy, don't you know that, that men don't cook? But he's from Mississippi. He'd tear your head off and spit down your neck. <laughs> he's a tough man, but he cooks. Next church potluck, he may bring vichy suave for everybody or whatever chefs make. Do you understand how awesome that is? Y'all know Rick Ripkey? Rick Kripke is this giant man in our church who comes from Minnesota. Up there, he's known as the vanilla gorilla. He's huge. But Rick really doesn't fit any of the male stereotypes. He's a great man. The other Sunday, I walked up to him and he was wearing this scarf. Like, like a scarf. And I said, Rick, man, you are you wearing a lady's scarf? And he hit me with his purse. Because... Rick Ripkey actually carries a purse. <laughs> no, seriously, he does. And I said, Rick, you wearing a lady scarf? He said, no, William Mayhall knitted this for me. <laughs> now, William Mayhall is a man in our church, and he knits. He has nearly tobogganized the entire congregation. He will knit you a hat. Today, he walked in wearing a scarf. I said, William, I like that scarf. He said, do you like it a lot? You can have it. I said this morning, the first man that likes this scarf a lot, I'm going to give it to him. I'm telling you, he knitted a camouflage scarf with a matching toboggan. Isn't that awesome? Now, you may be tempted to say, William Mayhall, men don't knit. Men aren't supposed to knit. I hope you won't tell him before he finishes knitting my onesie. You understand? (laughs) William Mayhaw is just himself he's not trying to be any man other than the man God created him to be and that is an incredible man this man is awesome do you understand and all of the men I could possibly name in this church from Tim Onan to Stacey Hunt to Kelly Holman to Chip Willingham I mean these are men in full possession of their strength they know who they are as men and they know who they are in Christ you don't have to imitate anybody else. Understand? Sir, the only man you're ever supposed to be is yourself. Quit trying to be somebody else. Quit trying to be your daddy. Quit trying to live your brother's life. Quit trying to live your mama's dream for yourself and find out who God made you to be. You're only supposed to be one guy, and that's yourself. And you're only supposed to imitate one man, and that's Jesus. The stereotypes change, and they're random, and you'll never measure up. You will never be that incredible sports machine that you wish you were. You will never be that incredible sex machine that you tell yourself you are. You may never be the big man on the job. You may never be the big man on campus, and this is what I'm telling you. All of those stereotypes are random and meaningless, you don't measure yourself by the standards of the world. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. You're letting other people tell you whether or not you are or are not a man. Why would you give your strength away like that? Only one man you're supposed to be, that's you. Be yourself. And only one man you're supposed to imitate, and that's Jesus, that's Christ. Because that is a model that doesn't change, you understand? And it has nothing to do with the patterns of the world. This is the very Son of God. Study Him. Imitate Him. Read His Word and and you'll find the man, Jesus, a man of incredible and tremendous and fierce love. A man of incredible, tremendous love and, and purpose. Jesus on earth knew exactly what his mission was, and he never shrank back from it, even to the point of death. He followed his purpose through with a laser focus. You see that? He was a man of incredible sacrifice. He never promoted himself. He was the son of God, but he never went around trying to assert himself or prove anything. He just simply was who he was, God in the flesh. And and in his humility and in his service, he has ransomed and saved the world. Do you not understand the sacrifice of a man like Jesus? Do you not understand his courage? Do you not understand that if you want to be a man, you imitate that man? You imitate Jesus only man you're ever supposed to try to be like. And you should live your life to be like him. Um, Let me say a word to fathers. This whole story is about what those two boys just wanted from their father. What do you think your son needs from you? He needs you to empower him with your love and your strength. He needs you more than anything. There is nobody else in his life ever who will be his father. It's you. And if you don't answer his questions about what it means to be a man and what it means to be your son, if if you don't help him understand how he can step into his own strength, if you don't do that for him, Dad, the world's not going to do it for him, and they shouldn't have to. It's your job. Your son needs you. And one of these days, mark it down, somebody's going to be talking to your son, and they're going to say, boy, you are just like your daddy. When they say that to your son, will that be a compliment? Boy, you're just like your daddy. Will that be a compliment to you, dad? The more like Christ you are And the more like Christ your son becomes Because of your influence And the more likely that when they say that It'll be a good thing You're listening to me? There is no man in this world That you're supposed to be Other than the man God made you to be Be yourself no man in this world that you're supposed to imitate except Jesus. Be like Jesus. Pray with me. God, as men, you know how we always measure ourselves. We like to compete. We like to look at other men and size each other up, Lord. It's just the way we're wired and So many of us, Lord, when we compare ourselves to the guys around us, Lord, we always feel like we fall short. We we measure ourselves short. And so, God, if you're telling us that the only man we measure ourselves against is, is Jesus, then we know we fall short. But Jesus, show us that when you judge us, when you measure us, you do not measure in order to condemn us. You measure in order to transform us. You alone can make us to be the man you created us to be. You alone, oh God. So teach us how to surrender. Teach us how to quit trying so hard. Teach us how to quit trying to prove something that shouldn't have to be proven. Teach us to stop trying to earn something that simply cannot be earned. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would simply receive your approval and your blessing as our heavenly Father, as the gift that it is. Lord, already you love us and already you accept us just like we are. So, Lord God, I pray that we would find ourselves strengthened and find ourselves encouraged and find our strength and our manhood, Lord Jesus, in you, oh God. I pray for men and boys in this house today. So many, Lord, who haven't really yet figured out how to be comfortable with the man that lives in their skin. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you would show them the way. And, Lord, so many of us as fathers, we just simply don't want to do to our sons what was done to us. We, we don't want to neglect to do what our fathers neglected to do for us, Lord, but we just don't know how. We need your wisdom, O oh, heavenly fathers. Help us to be good dads. Help us to be true sons. Help us, Lord, to be the men that you made us to be, like Christ, like nobody else.